Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. You and I need to start considering how merciful God is to us. We need to consider the mercies of God. We need to start pondering the fact that there are good things in my life and perhaps that is the cue for me to start thinking about how good I can be for God. in an entitled society. Even though we know we're hopelessly lost without God's grace and the free gift of salvation, it's easy to act like we're deserving of privileges or special treatment. Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares teaches about culture, convenience, repentance, and holiness. He titled this message from 1 Samuel chapter 29, Learning to Let Go of Convenient Sins. Now to download the free study notes, go to focalpointradio.org. Well, let's get started. Let me tell you this, there is nothing more urgent on God's docket to talk to us about than sin. And I know that because when I look in Scripture and I find heaven opened up to us through these short little visions from time to time that are shown us through the prophets, you can look at a passage like uh, Isaiah chapter 6, or you can study the book of Revelation, and you can see that the angels are enamored with one primary attribute of God. You know what it is. They cried out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And if you and I were dangled over the throne room of God and could perceive the nature and magnitude of the presence of God, I'm quite sure we would be fixated and impressed deeply with the holiness of God. Holiness of God is something that he wants to produce in our lives. He says, that's the purpose. I've called out a people for myself that are supposed to be zealous for good deeds. You're supposed to be anxious to be like my son who was holy. And it ought to be the passion of our heart. And when God starts to see us clutch onto the things in our lives that don't belong there, he wants to talk to us about it. I'm gonna talk about what's going on in your life that doesn't please me. We wonder sometimes why we feel this dryness about our lives. Perhaps it's because there's something God desperately wants to say to us, but we're not real attuned to hearing. I find that happens with a certain kind of sin. It's a kind of sin we've talked about through the book of 1 Samuel. It's what I call a convenient sin. You know what convenient sin is? Convenient sin is the kind of sin we know it's wrong, but we just feel it's beneficial to us. We, we, we know Jesus would never do the thing that we're doing, but it's, it just wouldn't be the same. Life wouldn't be as convenient or as fun or as expedient or as profitable if we didn't do things that way. No, I know it's not holy, but it's, it's kind of necessary for the time being. It's the convenient sins. We've learned in the book of Samuel that David had a convenient sin that he called to his aid quite often. It was the sin of hypocrisy and deception. And when it served him well, he was willing to pass himself off as someone he wasn't. He was willing to pretend to have gone places he never went. He pretended to have accomplished things he never accomplished. It was basically living a lie. Perhaps in your life, a convenient sin is deception, and you've learned to do your job that way. You've learned, perhaps, to relate to your manager, your boss, your supervisor, your 
spouse in that way. Perhaps for you, your convenient sin is greed. It drives so many of us in South Orange County, doesn't it? We want to keep up. So we'll overcommit ourselves at work. We'll undercommit ourselves at home and undercommit ourselves in the ministry in doing what God wants us to do at church. For us, it could be a relationship that we know is wrong. It's not what God would want us to do, but it doesn't seem terrible or immoral, but it's just not right, but it's convenient. Maybe it's a business alliance or a partnership. Maybe it's a form of entertainment that I know God wouldn't be pleased with, but it is so helpful for me and it's so cathartic and it just lets me unwind. And so I do that thing that I know probably God wouldn't be happy with, but it's a convenient thing. Perhaps it's the way you treat your spouse, the way you talk to your kids, the thoughts that you're willing to entertain in your mind when no one else can see what you're thinking. Whatever it is, if you thought about it long enough, you would feel guilty because you and God both know it doesn't belong there, but you are used to it. It's gotten to be a part of your life. It's gotten to be a part of the way you do what you do, but it's a compromise. It's a convenience sin. It's not going to drop the jaw of any of your non-Christian friends. There's lots of things in their lives that they would you know, think you haven't come close to that, but you know it's wrong, and it's sapping the vitality out of your Christian life. If you can identify with that, I've got some help for you. God wants us to, and if you want the abridged version of the message, it's right there in the three words of the title on the top of your worksheet. God would want us to give it up, to drop it, to let go of that convenient sin, no matter how difficult that is to have God reach down and uproot that part of our lives. We've got to let it go. You may say, well, that's great. That's profoundly simple as I see it at the top of a worksheet, but I know it's not that easy. Well, that's where the help comes in. If we're to study this passage, I think we'll find three good motivations for us to step across that line and perhaps leave in this hour things in our lives that have been so much a part of our life, but you and I and God all know it doesn't belong there. You want the motivation to give up those secret sins, those secret compromises in your life, then there's some help here. And if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 29. As we watch David work through the issues of his convenient sins, and we watch God utilize strategies in his life to get him there. And let me say this, you might as well get up and leave right now if you can't identify some sins in your life that you know are compromises, and I mean it. This is a useless message for you. Unless you can right now allow God's Spirit to focus on some part of your life that you know that if you were to be standing in the presence of God, that part of your life would have to go. What is that? If you know what that is, this message will be a great help to you. If not, lean back, fall asleep, because it'll be no good to you. It just bore you with a lot of biblical facts. But if God has helped you to identify that compromise, that convenient sin, that relationship that doesn't belong, that activity, that involvement, that thing you read, that thing you watch, that place you work. It may be huge, it may be small, but whatever it is, if you've identified it, I've got some help for you here in this passage. The context, as your eyes glance at it real quickly, you'll see what we learned was, earlier in the book, we saw David in his hypocrisy, his duplicity, his convenient sin of deception, he had fiended and faked the fact that he was loyal to the Philistines. He'd had it. He was tired of running from Saul, so he bailed out and he said, I'm going to go hang out with the Philistines. Big mistake. He took 600 people and all their families with him. 
and ended up getting a little town called Ziklag assigned to him as a little outpost on southern Philistia where he could hang out and be free from Saul. Problem was, he was now identified with the enemy of God's people and the enemies he would have to lie to, the Philistines, and pretend that he was on their side. He pretended that he would raid the Israelite cities when in reality he wasn't doing that. And so he'd become a liar. It had compounded itself to the place where David had dug a pit that he was now in. He had painted himself in a corner. He was in a quandary, in a conundrum that would not be easily escaped from because as time would have it and as God would have it, the Philistines did what they often did. They decided to fight against the Israelites. And last week we saw that King Achish of the Philistines said to David, you know you're going to have to fight with us, don't you? You're going to have to go up against your own countrymen. You know you're going to have to deal with this defection and you're going to have to, to prove it. The ultimate proving, you're going to have to kill some Israelites. David swallowed hard and said, well, then you'll see what kind of, kind of person I really am. I'm sure he went back to his tent, scratching his head, deciding how he's going to have to deal with this. How am I going to get out of this mess that I've made for myself? Well, chapter 29 shows how he got out of this mess. First few verses give us the context again. There's a battle. He's marching up with the enemies of God to fight God's people, the people that he was called to shepherd and to lead. And yet, now he's on the wrong side of the fence. He is now amongst the enemies of God. I don't know what his plan was, but look at verse number two. Philistine rulers marched with their units of hundreds and thousands, and David and his men were marching at the rear of this big processional with Achish, the king of the Philistines. I don't know what David had in mind. I have no idea how he planned to get out of this mess. He was either going to have to kill the people he was called to defend and protect, or he was going to have to try to, at the last minute, fight against the Philistines, which would be utterly absurd because this particular battle had marshaled so many forces. This, according to the last chapter, was just an outnumbered, no way in the world Israel, Israel was ever going to win. It seemed like God was going to abandon him to the consequences of his foolish choices. It looked like God was going to let David fall flat on his face for decisions that he had made. But, verse 3, something happens. The commanders of the Philistines, this is not the king now, these are other leaders amongst the Philistine armies. They said, hey, Achish, what about these Hebrews with us? I don't understand it. Aren't we going to fight the Israelites? Why do we have Israelites on our team? That doesn't make any sense. Achish says, whoa, 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 you know, David, I mean, this is not your typical uh, Israelite. He's, he's totally turned his back on them. He was an officer of Saul, but he's been with me for over a year now. And since the day he left Saul until now, I find no fault in this guy. This is a good guy. He's Philistine through and through. He's no longer an Israelite. He's got no loyalties there. Don't worry. He's going to fight for us. But the Philistine commanders, verse 4, were angry with him and said, send the man back that he may return to the place you assigned him. He must not go into battle with us or he'll turn against us during the fighting. How better to regain Saul's favor than by taking the heads of our own Philistine soldiers. Isn't this the David they sang the songs about, the dances about? Saul's killed his thousands. David is ten thousands. I mean, these were Philistines he killed. I don't trust this guy. Get him out of here. Take him and his people and let him go back to Ziklag. Don't let him fight with us. Achish calls David, unconvinced, of course, but still having to do something about the problem. He says, you know, as surely as the Lord lives, you've been reliable, and that's a joke, isn't it? Think about it. Reliable, reliable, faithful, honest? No, he hasn't. He's been a, he's been a liar. He's been duplistic. He's a hypocrite. He's got him duped. 
I'd be pleased, the Philistine king says, if you'd come serve with me in the army from the day you've come to me till now. I found no fault in you, but the rulers don't approve of you, so turn back and go in peace. Do nothing to displease the Philistine rulers. Wow, did he get out of that mess. Now think about this. I don't think there's a conceivable way that David could have got out of this mess more unscathed than he did in this passage. He was a person who says, I'm going to go fight against my own countrymen. I can't show them I'm disloyal by bailing out. I can't fight against the Philistines because I can't win. And if I fight against the Israelites, I'm going to be in big, big trouble with God. And I can imagine the angels standing around in heaven with their arms crossed saying, how's he going to get out of this one? And then God breaks through and says, no, I'm going to put it in the heart of a few Philistine commanders not to trust him. I'm going to send him back. He ends up in a win-win situation where he goes back, maintains his life, and doesn't have to fight against his own people. And God swoops in and protects him. Drop your eyes down to the last verse of the chapter, verse 11. So David and his men got up early in the morning to go back to the land of the Philistines, and the Philistines went up to Jezreel. I can't imagine a better conclusion to this, to save his neck, when David didn't deserve it. David had painted his own problem. He'd, he'd trapped himself against his own wall. He had made his own bed, and it was time for him to sleep in it. And God says, no. Wow. Why would God do that? Keep your finger here. Let me show you. Romans chapter 2. Go to Romans chapter 2, please. Get to the Gospels. Get past Acts. Find the book of Romans chapter 2. Look carefully at this passage. This summarizes in one statement what is going on in the entire 29th chapter of 1 Samuel. And it may surprise you, and I'm quite sure in your life it's gone undetected because it's such an odd way for God to work. But it is how He works. He chooses this strategy to deal with us when we in our lives are filled with compromise. And it's going to be hard to believe, I know. But look at it with me. Romans chapter 2, beginning in verse number 4. The text says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, his tolerance, and his patience, not realizing that God's kindness, underline it, leads you toward repentance? What? His kindness? Yes, his kindness is used as a means to wake you up to recognize that you have sin in your life that needs to be repented of. He can use kindness to show you that you, in turn, need to be kind to God by forsaking sin and living righteously. Now, I know this is an odd strategy because we wouldn't think of being kind to people that displease us, but God uses kindness toward us when we are displeasing him to wake us up to the reality that if I'm nice to you, could you possibly think about being nice to me and not offending my holiness anymore? And I'm quite sure that this strategy from God has gone undetected because I'm thinking it's going undetected in David's life. It is easy for us to mistake the kindness of God in our lives for approval. We think if he's being good to us, wow, he must really be pleased with me and he must not care much about these little compromises in the corner of my life. Oh, God is so gracious. God is so merciful. He loves me just the way I am. No, he doesn't. When there's compromise in your life, he may love you and shower you with mercy, not allowing you to incur the penalty and consequences of your own sin. He may swoop in and save you from a mess that you got yourself into just to show you that you need to change, 
Don't you recognize, Paul says, that God's kindness is a strategy to point out sin in your life? Have you recognized some things in your life that way? Have you said, perhaps my good health, promotion at work, this nice neighborhood I live in, these good things, are perhaps a sign from God for me to think, hey, am I really being as kind to God as he's being to me? Am I really living my life in a way that pleases him as much as he's purposing to please me? We need to think about that. Something good happens in your life. Perhaps it's not God's overwhelming, joyful approval of how you're living your life. Perhaps it's a way to say, wake up. Wake up. I'm being kind to you so that you'll repent. God was so kind to David. Not rewarding him according to his sins but being gracious and merciful. You know what those two words mean, don't you? Merciful. Merciful is when God swoops in and keeps us from the consequences of our own decisions. If you've done things that are sinful in your life and God hasn't let you reap the natural consequences of those behaviors, and all you got to do is imagine for a minute where you could be today if God hasn't stopped the consequences from coming of the decisions you've made in your life, then you recognize that as mercy. And then you want to go the next step. Let's talk about how gracious God is. The kindness of God is not just his mercy. The kindness of God is his grace. Grace, think about that. That's when we knock over mom's favorite vase and break it into a million pieces and she says, okay, get your jacket. We're going to go out and we're going to go get some ice cream. Huh? It doesn't make any sense. But God will use ice cream in your life to get you to recognize you broke the vase. It doesn't work that way with mom and dad when we were growing up, did it? It works that way with God, though. It is a strategy to get you to repent. And God will pour good things into your life. You got good things in your life right now? A lot of good things God is doing for you? Maybe it's time to do a little self-assessment. Search me, God. Try me. Know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. Is there something in my life that you're trying to wake me up to by these kind gifts? Are you trying to say to me, look how kind God is to me. Perhaps I need to be kind to God in this area of my life that I haven't been kind to God in. I put it this way in your outline, number one, you and I need to start considering how merciful God is to us. We need to consider the mercies of God. We need to start pondering the fact that there are good things in my life, and perhaps that is the cue for me to start thinking about how good I can be for God. Mm, consider the mercies of God. David had a three-day walk back from the battle lines to his home in Ziklag, in southern Philistia. It took three days for him and the 600 soldiers to get there. And I'm just wanting, as I read this passage, for him with every step along the way on that dusty road to start to recognize, look how God saved me. Look how God spared me. Look how good God has been to me. So that perhaps in contemplating his goodness, he would be moved to repentance and stop living such a dualistic, phony life. But let me tell you, as you look back at 1 Samuel, that if strategy number one doesn't work, <laughs> God's got another strategy. He is so passionate about you letting go of your compromises that if he can't win you with his kindness, he'll win you with his severity. Look at it. Verse number one, chapter 30. The text says, David and his men had reached Ziklag, their hometown, on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. And they had attacked Ziklag and they had burned it and they had taken captive the women and all who were in it, both young and old. 
They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. And when they get close to the city, they see that all the homes are burned, the walls are knocked over, their town is desolate, expecting the hugs of their children and the kisses of their wives, these 600 men with their leader, their duplistic, hypocritical leader, walk into town and find everybody gone. Can you imagine the devastation? Verse 3, read about it. When David and his men came to Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and their sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. This is another strategy of God. And if God has poured kind things into your life to try and get you to look squarely at that compromise and forsake it, and he can't get you to do it, he's got a strategy that most of our parents were pretty good at. <laughs> and it's called pain. And it's pain in the most severe way because this kind of pain is not a scar that he got in battle, not some foot ache he got on the road home. It's the kind of pain that when we love people, like our wife and our children, that God, as our heart dangles outside of our own body, as it, as it lives in the lives of those people in our home that we love so much, you know how vulnerable you are? God can use those people in your life to create a kind of pain that I think rivals any kind of physical pain. It's the pain of watching my child suffer or seeing my wife chronically ill. God can use that, and historically he has used that, to try and get his servant to recognize and confess and forsake his sin. And they were utterly dismayed. They wept and cried until they couldn't cry anymore. They were out of strength, weeping, crying. Got parents here. Got those kids at home, kids in the nursery, children you love so much. God can use those people and pain in their lives to get you to recognize a problem in yours. We're learning to let go of convenient sins today with Pastor Mike Fabares. You're listening to Focal Point, and we'll pick up this subject again tomorrow. And remember, you can listen again online anytime at focalpointradio.org. Well, we're covering a moving section of Scripture today, and it may have stirred up some powerful convictions in your own heart. But here at Focal Point, we're committed to teaching exactly what the Bible says, not sidestepping around the difficult passages to avoid dealing with the tough stuff. Now, if you believe in our straightforward approach to Bible teaching, would you give today to support this work? We desire for the plain truth of God's Word to reach every heart and home. And through your generosity, we can continue delivering Pastor Mike's expositional teaching by internet, podcast, app, and hundreds of radio stations nationwide. When you support Focal Point with a financial gift today, we'll say thanks by sending you a copy of a helpful book written by Nate Pickowitz called How to Eat Your Bible, A Simple Approach to Learning and Loving the Word of God. Now, maybe you want to know God's Word better, but you don't like reading. 
Or maybe you find the long books and strange names overwhelming. Whatever the case, How to Eat Your Bible will help you cultivate an appetite for lifelong study. You'll also become encouraged to pursue God's Word by learning how other Christians throughout time maintain this crucial practice. Request your copy by calling us at 888-320-5885. That's 888-320-5885. Or go online to focalpointradio.org. If you prefer sending your donation by mail, write to Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. And you know, a great way to develop a deep love for God's Word is by tuning in right here on this program each day as we study the Scriptures. If you ever miss a program, you can download the free Focal Point mobile app to listen anytime, anywhere. Or you can always listen on our website, focalpointradio.org. Well, I'm Dave Drewy, inviting you to join us again Wednesday as we continue the message called Learning to Let Go of Convenient Sins, right here on Focal Point. Hey there, Pastor Mike here. We're almost out of time, but before we go, I wanted to personally invite you to contact us here. Let us know how we can be praying for you. Head on over to focalpointradio.org and click the contact page or send me a note on Facebook, facebook.com slash Pastor Mike or twitter.com slash Pastor Mike. Can't wait to hear from you. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.